Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good morning. Good evening, depending on the time where you're at listening. Today, I'm really excited because my friend and male ally, David Wood, is on the F word today. David has been making an impact on financial services industry uh, since 1986, and he founded Gateway Financial Partners in 1994 with scale and growth in mind. We're actually going to talk about that today because it's really impressive what he's been able to do. Uh, He now supports more than 100 independent advisors and supporting staff throughout the United States. He's also a strong advocate for veteran organizations and community businesses. He is a member of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. David understands the value of venturing outside the comfort zone and is passionate about providing advisors with the support and dynamic ideas they need to grow their independent practices. Welcome to the F Word, David. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. I couldn't think of a person that like to spend some time with them on my birthday more than you so maybe faith here. maybe faith but you know that's okay always faith. <laughs> i'm always with faith this is my work day though so that's right that's right so we're actually when you're listening to this a few weeks later but uh february 2nd groundhog day my favorite day my father used to always say this day was made for me because after the movie came out i always wake up and it's the same day for me i'm happy and joyful and it's kind of hard to tarnish my sparkle so it's a good birthday for you to have Absolutely. I'm happy. So I love telling our listeners how I get to meet all of our really cool podcast guests. And you reached out to me on LinkedIn, which I have to tell you, this is the first interview that I've done. And I've done a hundred or so of these now where someone's actually reached out to me. It's usually the other way around. And I was really grateful that you recognized the work that we were doing at Females in Finance. What led you to reach out to me? Well, I think as a firm, we're very, very passionate about helping uh, women in the financial services industry. I think helping advisors in particular, but I think when I look at some of the demographics of the industry, you know, number one, I think women make better financial advisors. And, and when you start to look, uh, I, I hear a lot that, that female clients are a niche and they're absolutely not a niche. Uh, women control uh, and are going to control uh, so much of the $20 trillion, the majority of the $20 trillion that's going to pass on from the baby boomers. So I think, I think women can relate much better to women. And I think when, when women use the skills that they have, they can really become unstoppable. And we're supporting a group, you know, some of our most successful advisors right now are are, are women. And I think we're just, again, very passionate about uh, supporting them. And we recognize that they operate differently than men. And I think that that's, a, that's an important thing to, to understand if you're going to support them. I very much agree. And I tell everyone just because I'm out saving dolphins doesn't mean killing whales. I think there is an ocean of work that needs to be done. And I appreciate all that you do in that space. I definitely want to talk about your work in financial services, but can you take some time and talk about your journey into this career? Like what led you to do this work today? So, so in 1986, I actually was in college and got a job at a financial services firm. Back then it was more of a brokerage house. So uh, I, you know, 
kind of dropped out of college after two years of, of being in the industry because I had just tremendous passionate for it and uh, worked for a couple of regional investment firms from 86 to 94. And then in 1994, I made the decision to kind of break off on my own. And at that time, you know, I was serving individual clients and today I'm not. So the focus is, has shifted really to, I think, building an organization that has some scale to support uh, you know, growing individual advisors. When, when I look at some of the trends in the industry, I think that they're very, very telling. And I think one industry that has gone through the change that I see financial services going through right now is, is physicians. So if you look at doctors and go back to 2002, in 2002, 75% of doctors own their own practice and 25% work for a hospital or an aggregator. Nine years later in 2011, those numbers flip-flopped. Yeah. Three years after that, it was 85-15, and today you can't find a doctor that owns his own practice. They're all part of some you know, statewide, either a hospital group or, or statewide doctor's group. And, and, the, and the, the thing about this is the doctor's practice, when you go back and look in 2002, that doctor's office looked like a lot like an individual financial advisor's office. They had a, a doctor, which was the financial advisor. They had a a physician's assistant, which was your paraplanner, and they had the receptionist that did the scheduling and the billing and those other things. So I think the way the doctor's office looked and, and the way the financial advisor was operating kind of solo or as part of a small ensemble, I think they look very, very similar. Uh, and, and I think when I look at the change, the doctors today are still seeing patients. They're just getting rid of all of those non-revenue producing activities. Mm -hmm. So when I look at really what I see in the industry is that is that uh, the, the, the solo advisors and small ensemble practices need more scale and they need to take away things that are non-revenue producing and give themselves back more time to service clients and service them in a different way. I often tell advisors what got them here is not going to get them there. I think that there's been massive changes to our industry. And I think those changes have really happened over the last 10 years. So if I go back to 86, from 86 to 96, and from 96 to 2006, and even from 2006 to 2016, when you look at the changes in the industry, well, there was pricing compression. So what we charge for services back when we sold products in, in 86 and what we sold products for in 2016, that declined. Uh, clearly, the internet uh, gave people a lot more information. But really what's happened 2016 to today, I think that, that it, consumers expect a lot more than they've ever expected from their financial advisor. And I don't think it's the financial industry that's necessarily changing that. I think it's your, you know, your Uber's and, and DoorDash, those, those, that's who's changing the client's expectation. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to grab our phone, pick out what we want when we want it, watch the progress of how it gets delivered. Um, people expect a lot more. And I think financial advisors need to really be in a position to use technology better than ever before, number one. And then also, I think, have a deeper relationship with the client and then also at a lower price. So when you start to look at all these factors, right, it, it really bodes to where advisors need more scale in what they're doing. And I think the biggest way we provide scale is taking away stuff that does not provide uh, does not provide you know revenue to the advisor. Things like you know the technology, marketing, some of the operations, payroll, HR, things that in an advisor's practice are just sucking time away from them. We're trying to give that time back to them. 
Yeah. And I think that it's so funny. I was talking to Adam Holt of Asset Map. Uh, I guess it was last week. He, you know, had sent me a video where he talked about this. He's a technology, a fintech firm talking about this, this user experience and the importance of understanding UX and, and how, and then I even correlated it before that to a friend of mine, Joe Calloway, he wrote a book called Becoming a Category of One, where our, you know, he doesn't call them consumers, they're prosumers, they're professionally consuming information today, where they are taking it in much more, um, not only faster, but it's at their fingertips, and understanding the behavioral part. So when they go to Starbucks, and they have a really good experience, they're expecting the same thing out of you know, your office, they're expecting that same kind. It's a category of one, it's one user experience. And if they can't do that, they can't uh, get to the things they're off buying, you know, socks and bacon on Amazon, they're gone. So, so I think, you know, I think it, it, it's a great point. I think when people come to a financial advisor, it goes back to some expectations, right? So if I was to go across town and check into a hotel today and open up my hotel room door, one of the things I would expect to see a, is, a, is a bed. If there wasn't a bed in there, I'd be really, really surprised. Um, but a bed is not going to get me an amazing experience at that hotel. So I think it's the same thing when, when somebody comes to a financial advisor, they expect to get good financial advice. That's a given, right? So, so from that point on, I think we've got to be intently focused on that experience that the client has. And I'll give you a great example in real life. We had a couple of prospective advisors visit our uh, home office last week. And, you know, we had a, we had a two or three hour meeting with them and the one comment that they made, and you could tell they didn't miss, you know, they didn't miss the details around the office. The one comment that they made is when we brought out lunch, they commented that the napkins had Gateway's uh, name and logo on it. So I think it's this intention to detail to create this amazing experience in everything that we do. And people don't miss that, right? So if, if all we had was a napkin with our name on it, that, that's not very exciting. But when you, you know, kind of look at that as the, as the cherry on the Sunday, that becomes something that, you know, the, 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 one of the advisors tapped the other advisor on the shoulder and said, look, and they even have their name on the napkin. So I think it's this attention to detail that financial advisors are so, quote, busy in their practice that that, that busyness holds them back from creating that wow experience. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to package up this wow experience and deliver it to them so they can deliver it to their clients, taking away the complexities of doing that. So if we can simplify that wow experience and you start to look at it, um, Starbucks clearly has uh, a feel when you go into Starbucks, we, we all know that, right? Um, while the locations might be different and the people might be different, and the layout of the store might be different. The way we feel is the same. So we're trying to give that feeling to advisors. We're not trying to micromanage how they interact with the client, but we're trying to help them create that experience where the client says, wow. And when you can get to that point, uh, you've got that client for, you know, for life. So that interaction is a couple of ways. One, it's, I think, kind of how we can physically make them feel, but then also I think how we interact with them. Um, I, I had a conversation with, with a, a female advisor of ours in Texas last week. And one of the comments that she said to me, you know, we talked about a particular client meeting that she had with a with a new uh, with a new husband and a wife, and and you know she is very very uh, focused on making sure that the wife is very included, and I think this is something that uh, a lot of financial advisors just don't do. We we kind of focus on the husband, uh, and we 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 kind of forget about the wife, and that is absolutely not what this advisor does. And at the end of the conversation, the the, the wife. 
uh, looked at her husband and said, I want so-and-so to be our financial advisor. The wife said that because she's so involved the wife. So I think these are some of the dynamics that are happening in the industry. Um, I think as it relates just to how we service clients, but then also how we make the clients feel and that advisor uh, makes their her clients feel amazing because there's a lot of touch into the you know relationship yeah. there, which I think is critical. Yeah, I think it's important for those who are listening to to know David and I became friends over time um, since we connected. So he's not only a male ally in the females and finance community, he's also a promise sponsor. He's on my advisory board. Um, his wife, uh, Faith Zeller, is an associate partner at our firm with her marketing company. Uh, one of his colleagues, S.J. Whitmore, is a regional delegate uh, for the Northeast chapter of Females in Finance, too. I've got to ask this question. Why did you go all in at Females in Finance? Because I'm always honored when we spend time with you. We have a good dialogue. You've taught me a lot of things over this time. But, you know, you, you definitely feel the warmth and presence of Gateway here at Females in Finance. Well, I think part of that's I think part of that's you, Cheryl. So, I mean, you've you've really done an amazing job building a just an amazing organization to support an amazing group of financial advisors. And that's not easy. So I think you've got a tremendous passion behind that. And we kind of recognize that, um, you know, we give a lot as a company and, and individually we give a lot, but I think one of the things with giving is we also learn a lot. So I served on a panel last week for the uh, financial planning association yeah. on, on, you know, women and diversity and inclusion. And, and what was interesting is I, I, I walked away from that panel learning a lot. So I think, I think what we give, we also learn. It is not uncommon for me to speak with female financial advisors or, or women looking to get into the financial services industry. Um, I probably have four or five calls a month with people who are just kind of asking questions about how to get into the industry, what's it look like. And the vast majority of those are, are women who are kind of referred from people like you or referred from some of your members, where I just kind of give them some advice on getting in. I think this is a challenge that we face as an industry, just in general. So we have more financial advisors right now over the age of 80 than under 30. And so when you start to look at this, we've got a bunch of old men in this industry. And we've got an industry where the trend is going to be for you know, women to inherit massive amounts of wealth from baby boomers. So I think as an industry, this is something that we need to be really focused on. One, getting more financial advisors into the industry and getting more women into the industry and also getting more, uh, I think, women CFPs into the industry. So when you start to look at these things, I think women in, 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 in many cases have been held back, right? So the gender bias that's existed in the industry, women are much more likely to have a salaried position in financial services. They're much uh, less likely to have their CFP than men. Uh, women who don't know about the CFP program are very, very unlikely to do it compared to men, which, which are kind of researching it and doing it. So I think there's a lot of trends here that, that I think uh, need to change. And I think they, they need to change for, for the sake of the industry. And, and if we can help with that, we certainly want to do that. I know you take thought leadership really seriously, and it warms my marketing heart uh, as somebody who goes out there and pushes others to do that. And one of the things that I happen to appreciate the most about you is this idea of taking 
the the complex or the complicated and making it it easy, um, outsourcing the things that you don't do well or taking up too much of your time, et cetera. You know, where did all of that stem from? Because, you know, you've really gone in on all your thought leadership and going out there, but something had to have sort of been the tipping point of seeing people take complicated things and keep taking that on. And then your organization really says, let us take all that away. You keep doing what you're doing. Did you have something personally that you were just working on or did you see people doing stuff? What led to that? Yeah, what, what happens is it happens constantly, right? So this is something that from working with experienced advisors, our average advisor right now is probably 23 or 24 years in the business. So from interacting with them on a regular basis, we see things that cause them pain and stress and frustration. We try to take that stuff away. So let me give you a couple of great examples of this. I was visiting with an advisor in North Carolina who had just spent three days running around to some stores to try to get gifts for some of her clients. So she spent two or three days driving around the different stores, looking at gifts to try to find some gifts for the holidays for her clients. She gets the gifts back to her house. And then she realized that she really didn't have boxes to ship the gifts in. And then after she found boxes, she had to go to the UPS store to ship them out. So this is an advisor that spent probably, you know, hours and hours of wasted time to get some client gifts out, which is, we see is really, really important. Here's how we've solved that. We have a full-blown e-commerce store where advisors can simply go pick out what they want. Many, many of the items are customized with the client's name or the family name on it. Something like a cutting board that has the family's name engraved into the cutting board. So we have a full-blown e-commerce store where advisors can go pick out what they want, We'll, the same day, have the ability to laser engrave it, sublimate it, which is basically the process of putting ink into or onto some type of material, and then not only make it, but then also put the card in uh, and then do the full fulfillment. So we're going to send that out directly on the advisor's behalf, directly to the client. So we've got the boxing, the packaging, and everything else. So there's an example of how we can take something from an advisor and have them do a great thing without having to touch it. They can spend five minutes instead of five hours and, and accomplish the same thing at the end of the day at a lower cost with customization, because this is something if they were gonna run around and, and do this, it just takes a lot of time. So there's an example when we call them touch points, there's an example of the touch points. Another area of friction is uh, uh, technology. So technology causes friction. So we offer phones, computers, and the software and support right down to the desktop for the vast majority of our advisors. So when COVID hit, advisors weren't running around trying to figure out how to forward their phones yeah. to their cell or do this or do that. They could simply pick up their computer and pick up their phone and then plug it in at home and work remotely. So these are things that, again, we see technology as a friction point. And if we can solve that for the advisor, often advisors have saved stuff to their local computer, the computer dies and they're out of business, they're frustrated, and they're not servicing clients because they don't have that interface to do it. So if we can take that away from them and provide them with state-of-the-art technology and simplify that, at a much lower cost than an advisor could ever do on their own and being compliant with it, right? So if we can do all of those things for an advisor, our view is that we stimulate growth. And if, if the advisor grows, then we grow. So we see that again as a way to, to do that. HR is another example of that. We, we have a couple of different programs. One program where we'll actually hire the advisor's uh, team members and we'll put them on our 
on our payroll. So what that does is it takes all of the HR functions away from the financial advisor. The advisor is not dealing with payroll, payroll taxes, the HR functions, the 401k plan, the medical insurance. They can basically outsource all those complexities to us have a pass through those expenses. And at the end of the day, have a, a situation where they've got more time to focus on their clients. So I, I think that this is something for us that's ever evolving. We listen to the advisors, solicit feedback on what causes that friction and where we can outsource and take away those friction points for them. We see that as a win for everybody because at the end of the day, the advisor is more successful. Um, that, that's why they, they stick around. And, and if the advisor sticks around, then we have a great relationship long-term if we help them grow it's a great relationship. So I think it's an investment on our part. Um, and I think that the offering is always changing depending upon where we can, you know, just continue to inject value into an advisor's practice. So I have to tell you, I am the person who is one of the recipients of some of these customized things that you've done. And I have, for those listening, uh, I, I've gotten a lot of stuff over the years. I've been speaking professionally for eight years. You get a lot of speakers gifts. You get a lot of uh, things. And, and David's team goes like, there's, there's like good. And then, so I'm going to go back to your bed comment in the hotel. Okay. You're right. Every hotel has a bed in it, but the Conrad in Indianapolis has the best bed I've ever slept in my life. And it was so wonderful. I bought it. I literally pulled it apart, went down, asked, can you buy this bed? And they said, you can. And I bought all the match. I bought it all. Um, and, and so, and that's because it, they went to the next level. So like to your point, so there are things that many offices do that are just really nice and they're just beautiful touches. So uh, to the experience of opening a gateway uh, gift or, um, you know, something customized is unlike anything else. It always comes in a gateway box with gateway tape and you open it up and you have tissue paper and you have, you even have customized uh, wine uh, boxes inside of that. Um, your wine, and I have one, I mean, I have many of the things that you've sent me here on my back, on my credenza behind my desk when I'm online, because they're, they're just such really good, beautiful little touches. And although the, all that stuff was nice from gateway to us, the thing that really shocked me was I made a comment sort of in passing to David one time on a call about having computer stickers. Like I really wanted to have something to, to, to take to an event or to give out so people could put females in finance on there. But I also had gone through and spent a tremendous, and when I say a tremendous amount of time, I had been on like six different websites. They won't send you samples. You have to make an order. And we finally ultimately picked one and they came and the stickers were crap. They were absolute crap. Then I'm going to be honest today. We only used them to put them on boxes when we're sending them out just to get rid of them. They're, they were, they're terrible. David, I'm complaining or, you know, sharing or something. We were just talking about stuff. The next thing I know, I think it was about three days later, four days later, a box appears on our front porch. And I open it up. And not only did you have the stickers, they were made. They were exactly what I wanted, exactly what I wanted. They were in this beautiful box. It had this little crinkle paper. They were setting on there like they were important. They were stickers, friends. I get it. But they were important to me. 
So, so here's what happens when you look at client satisfaction, it's not linear. So the more things we do for a client doesn't necessarily make them happier, right? What happens is there's some tipping point that makes them go from being uh, okay, pretty happy to really, really happy, right? So when I check into the hotel, I travel a lot. Yes, uh, you do. Uh, if it wasn't for COVID, I think I would probably have the world's largest collection of hotel room keys. It's a goal in my life is to just try to max that collection out. So, so I travel a lot and, and you know, it's, it's great to have the valet. That's great. Um, it's nice to have a fast check-in where people don't talk to you. They recognize you as a business traveler. They check in really quick because they know you're exhausted and you want to go to your room and not talk to anybody. Um, you know, so you get up and have a have a bed, right? So there's these things that are okay, but but what what really makes it happen is where you check into a hotel and the valet knows your name as you drive up. Like these are the things that make me say wow, that guy remembers me from three months ago. This is a hotel I'm always coming back to. So I think when we look at this, we start to look at some of these client touch points. We're really looking for things that are very special to the person. Mm -hmm. I'm a big bourbon collector. So if you went and bought me a you know, an expensive bottle of red wine, I would certainly drink it. But if you gave me an inexpensive bottle of bourbon that I didn't have, I would be really, really happy with you. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about what's what's important and significant to that individual person. And because of that, a lot of what we do is customizable, right? So it's not some cookie cutter type of of, 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 of gift to somebody. I mean, those, those cookie cutter gifts are okay. If you send me a travel mug, I will tell you what's going to happen with it. I'm going to get coffee in it. Um, I'm going to leave it on my desk for three or four, five, six weeks, and then it's going to turn green and I'm going to probably throw it away. There's not a lot of significance there. If you gave me a coffee mug with my name on it, I would take great care of it because it has my name and it's more significant for me. It's not something generic. So I think the more of this that can get customized down. And again, if we're a financial advisor, we've got to get so in tune with that relationship with the client, which women are better at. We've got to get so in tune with that relationship because that's what's going to create the stickiness. It's not going to become... Uh, you know, we're in a commoditized business now where we've got massive pricing compression. And I think the way to combat that is to have an amazing relationship with a client. And that amazing relationship requires that customization. It really does. And I have to tell you that you are, okay, for the most part, yes, women are pretty good at personal currency, hearing the details of what people uh, want to receive or what, what's important to them. Uh, one of the things that I pay very, very close attention to is when I am speaking to an advisor, to a group, and somebody says something very specific. Well, my husband, Greg, we went here. As soon as they start doing that, I know how important somebody something is to somebody because they're starting to give you information. Information is um, data, friends, is just the key. So, so how do you, so one is to have good listening skills, but here's the second thing and ask the clients. We've got something called a partnership card where we've got advisors who will ask a client all of their preferences. So we'll ask them, hey, what's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite charity? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? Would you like chocolate? Do you like wine? Uh, what's your favorite sports team? So we, we learn a lot about the client, not only financially, but also personally. And then what happens is we can use that information to market to them. So when they give us a referral, we don't give them a gift certificate to the Red Robin. We give them a gift certificate to um, Olive Garden because that's their 
their favorite restaurant. So we can customize. It's not about the money we spend. It's about how unique that gift is to the individual person. And I think good listening skills will fix that, but then also have a process built in place as part of your fact finding to ask the client those personal questions. We have a form that, that the advisor can give to a client just to fill out and ask them all those questions that the clients, and, and I, I, we've got one advisor who religiously does this. And I asked her the question, have you ever had a client not want to fill that information out, right? So we ask a lot of personal stuff. And, and they said, have you ever had a client not want to fill that out? She said, yeah, I had two. And I said, well, what was the circumstances around that? And, and the client said, you've done so much for us already. You've done so much for us already that I just don't want you to do any more. And I know if we give you this information, you're going to do even more. So like, there's where, there's where it wasn't resistance as to, well, why do you want to know what my favorite restaurant is? That wasn't, that wasn't, it was just the opposite. You've done so much. We just don't want you to do any more for us. I love it. So I always like to wrap these with some actionable education and, you know, I, I would love for you to impart on the listeners today one thing, you know, what's something that they can be doing or in all that you've shared today, you know, what's something that they can immediately act on when they click off from listening to this podcast? So I, th I think one is to step back from, 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 from the practice, right? So if you look at financial advisors, I see financial advisors so busy with the day-to-day -day work that they don't step back and look at their practice. So I think one of the actionable items I speak with a lot of financial advisors. I'm happy to speak with any of the listeners to share some ideas. You know, my role at Gateway is the chief visionary officer. So my goal is to really set the vision, the future vision for the, for the company. And I've got to spend time doing that. I have the ability to do it because I don't have personal clients that are taking quote time away from me. I really view our financial advisors as our clients. So I think one is step back and take a look at the practice as a business, as a business. One of the one of the actionable items is definitely to look at what type of revenues you generate per client. I think that that is something that advisors uh, don't know, and I think advisors should know that. Go go look at your book of of, of, of clients. If you have a hundred clients, break them down 80-20. Look at your top twenty relationships and how much they generate on average per relationship, and then look at the bottom eighty percent of your clients. Look at the bottom eighty clients if you have a hundred, and look at what they generate in revenues. Look at that number. And if that number is $150, which for some of your listeners, it will be, ask the question, what can you do to service a client for $150? So I, I think we, we, need, we, we're, we, we're, we need to put some processes in place to kind of segment our book, because often what we see is, is your reputation is determined by your smaller clients that you've never serviced, not by the big clients yeah. that you take amazing care of. So I think it's important to look at that. So I think a couple actionable items is to step back, look at the business as a business. I think get a coach. I think that that's really, really important. Either a study Amen. coach, somebody else you could talk to. I thrive on the interaction with other successful uh, folks in the industry like me. I learn a lot from that. Um, so I think all of those things are, are important. And again, I'm happy to speak with any of your listeners. They can reach out to me. I'd be happy to spend some time with them. Love it. Love it. So I'm going to wrap this interview in a fun way. I ask every guest three questions and uh, I have to answer them too. Are you ready? Go. Go. All right. How about this one? What is the best job you've ever had? Well, that's pretty easy because this is about the only job I've ever had. So <laughs> having, the, having the benefit of dropping out of, of college, right? I got put into financial services and 
you know, I often say that I don't have 35 years of experience in the industry. I've got five years of experience seven times over, which is really what it is. So I think that, again, it comes back down to how this industry has evolved. And, and for me, this is by far, we're, we're very passionate about this. I love the industry. And uh, for me, that's a simple answer. Right. Okay. And it is for me as well, because females in finance really gave me an opportunity to do all the things that I do well. Why? Because my company, I get to share, you know, great ideas and do workshops and speak with wonderful people like yourself and partner and help other people grow. And I learned from each and every one of them. And I would say the, the only thing from a personal perspective too, is um, I love being a I love being a mom because I love being a grandma. I love that job the most. I love those little kids. Um, how about this? What scene from a movie scared you as a child? As a child, I would have to say, you know, since today's my birthday and I'm pretty old, I think it was in black and white back then, wasn't it? <laughs> It's definitely in black one. So it had to be probably, uh, it would probably have to be the Wizard of Oz. I think that the witch. Really? Oh, wow. I'm going to tell you mine was, um, a lot of people go right to Psycho. It wasn't that for me. I mean, that did frighten me, but it wasn't really one of the first things that I remembered being scared about. Um, instead, it was going to be that I watched that um, Nightmare on Elm Street thing i oh, was the yeah. first movie that i went to i saw something on a big screen i was so terrified terrified like i couldn't even hardly walk to my car like with the car with people i was just like oh nice. and so i still have like visuals of that to this day um how about what is one person who's one person you've always wanted to meet because hmm. you've met a lot of people so that's why i didn't ask who's the coolest person you've ever met, but who's one person that you always wanted to meet? Hmm. I get frustrated with that question just because there were people that have passed away. Like I would have loved to have been able to spend five minutes with like a I think Dr. That, Maya Angelo or Nelson Mandela or somebody like that, because I just think they were wonderful people. But I, I just think that there's so many people. I mean, I, I could go with, I could go with somebody, uh, like a Warren Buffett, but then you could also go with somebody like uh, Bernie Madoff because I it was just wondered like what the heck was he thinking? And I think it would be really interesting to see what was in his head, uh, you know, defrauding investors for so long. So I think it's a, I, I could go with a lot of different answers there. I think it'd be really hard for me to pick one. Yeah, I was also thinking too. My my father, when you walk in my my father's home, he has a picture. There's a like a little hallway divider. It's hard to explain, but there's a picture of some of my relatives standing next to this little, um, there's a place, there's a city in Missouri called Kulin, Kulin, Missouri. And uh, my family has, it comes from there. I think it's a town of like 42 people or something. I mean, really crazy. And uh, they're standing next to like this little shacky looking thing. And I look at that woman a lot of times I look in her eyes and she would be like my great, 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 great grandma kind of thing. And I think I came from you. Like, you survived all this. A little bit of that is in here somewhere. And uh, I, I think that would be a little interesting. I can actually remember meeting my, my. it would have been my great, great, uh, great, great grandfather and grandmother. Oh. So I can remember meeting them as a young child and we actually had some old home videos of, of them, which were in that little, I think eight millimeter or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, those little things. We actually had like 
the horse plowing the, the garden with the plow hooked up to the horse. So yeah. I really had the ability to see some of those. It's always fun. I know. I just think that'd be cool to go back and look at her in the eye and be like, hope I'm doing you some justice because you worked hard. You worked hard because that's that's the part where I always see her and her faces, their hands are dirty. You can like see their their nails and everything in the picture as 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 black and crinkly, you know, black and white. It's actually kind of a, a topi, like a sepia type of thing, but you can still see their nails are are dirty. And I always think, man. That's so incredible. So we're, we're going to make sure we provide all the links to uh, the ways to reach you and connect with you. You are such an ally to everyone, not just at Females in Finance, but the financial services community as a whole. The time you spent here today and on your birthday, we are recording this. You know, I'm so excited to have been able to spend this time with you this morning. Thank you, David. My pleasure. It's always great to see you. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Absolutely. And for the listeners, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode, the F word. Uh, you know, we're going to learn more about today's guests and the topics we covered by visiting the links that we're going to provide on David's episode page. And if you love this podcast, because you know, you did, it's David Wood, please be sure to subscribe and don't keep it a secret. We want to share it and tag hashtag females and finance in the post so that we can engage with you as well. And we always want you to remember the F word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Thank you.